Good to, be, good to be with you today, church. My name is Halim Sa. I serve as one of the pastors and elders here at the Stone. We're going to be continuing our study through the book of Ephesians. And today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. We're already in chapter 6. It's the last chapter of the book. In Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, what Paul is going to talk to us about is the relationship between parents and children. The relationship between parents and children. And we're going to spend two weeks on these uh, passages. And this week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how parents are to relate to their children. How parents are to relate to their children, specifically through biblical discipline and instruction. And then next week, we're going to look at how children are to relate to their parents. How children are to relate to their parents, specifically through honor and obedience. And so that's what the two weeks are going to look like. Let's look at the text, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The first thing I want us to see about this passage is where it's located. Where it's located. Now this is at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 6, right? At the beginning of Ephesians chapter 6. But what did Paul just get finished talking about at the end of chapter 5? What did he just finish talking about? Well, he just got finished talking about marriages, about the relationship between husband and wives and how ultimately that's a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. Okay, so marriage first and then children. That seems to make sense. But what did he talk about before marriage? What did he talk about earlier on in chapter 5? Well, he talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. You guys remember? Being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he gave us instructions on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit and how to live a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what's my point? My point is that he is not yet finished on giving instructions on how to live a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. If you look at the grammatical structure of how Paul is stringing all of these arguments together, he's not yet finished giving us instructions on how to live a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? It means that parenting in the eyes of God is not just some side topic that he's having Paul write as an obligation to all the parents at church at Ephesus. But that parenting in God's mind is something that is spiritually significant. That in God's mind, you can't do parenting apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not something you can do apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit. I hear mothers, particularly Mothers of babies and young children say this all the time. My wife, Angela, she says this all the time. We have a seven-year-old, five-year-old, and a four-year-old at home. And, and I hear this all the time from young mothers. I hear, I hear you say, I just don't feel like I'm doing anything spiritually significant. Young mothers, you feel that? I just don't feel like I'm doing anything spiritually significant with my life. You're saying, I used to teach Bible studies, but now I'm wiping butts all day. 
You're saying, I used to work and contribute to society, but now I just feel like a human milk machine. You're saying, how dare you? Breastfeeding is a beautiful thing. I'm just saying out loud the things I've heard, okay? You're saying, I used to live on mission, but now I can't even have a two-minute conversation with somebody without having to stop and yell at my kids. You know, when you and I imagine what living a spiritually significant life would be like, if you and I were asked, what does it look like to live a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit? I think if God said, okay, you're in charge of writing this section of Ephesians, I think we would write in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think we would jump straight to the end of chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, we're tempted to think that living a spiritually significant life is only doing things like these, right? Spiritual warfare kinds of things, uh, cosmic, fighting cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. And make no mistake, Paul does include those things, but it's not just those things. You see, he will talk about spiritual warfare, but before he gets to spiritual warfare, he first talks about marriages. Before he gets to talking about spiritual warfare, he first talks about parenting, You see, in God's eyes, when it comes to living a life that is filled with the Spirit, he has in mind your everyday life. He has in mind how you're going to interact with your husband, how you're going to interact with your wife that day. He has in mind how you're going to parent your children that day. And so, young mothers, I hope you're encouraged by that today. What you do day in and day out things that no one ever sees, things that no one ever thanks you for, not your children, not even your husband, God sees. God sees, and he sees it as spiritually significant. He sees it as something that matters, matters so much that he's willing to give you everything so that you can do it well. His Holy Spirit, he's giving to you so that you might do it well, so that you might flourish in it, persevere through it. So that's the first thing I wanted us to see. Parenting is spiritual. Being a father, being a mother is not just some domestic kind of thing. It's a spiritually significant and weighty kind of thing. Something that in God's mind we cannot do apart from his Holy Spirit. So what does spirit-filled parenting look like? Let's read the verses again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. The first three verses describe how children are to relate to their parents. We'll look at those verses in depth next week. But today I want us to focus on verse 4. Spirit-filled parenting, Paul is going to say, it has two things. Two things. Number one, discipline. And number two, instruction. It has these two things, discipline and instruction. And notice here, Paul is addressing fathers. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul is addressing fathers. Now, what's up with that? What about the mothers? 
Well, mothers are in there. Remember verse 1, it says, children obey your parents. And so mothers are in there. But it's specifically calling out fathers. Why? I don't think, though, we functionally have a problem with this, do we? I don't think mothers at the end of the day really have a problem with this. I don't think mothers are sitting around thinking, well, there goes those fathers again, always trying to get involved in parenting. I don't think mothers are sitting around thinking, there go those fathers again, always trying to get in the discipline and instructing our kids in the Lord. So I don't think functionally we have a problem here, but we did talk about this during the marriage series, that though it may be in your family that by and large it's the mother who is with the children, though it may be that in your family by and large the mother who is doing the disciplining and the instructing, Nevertheless, this doesn't mean that the father is excused from his parenting responsibilities. In fact, as far as God is concerned, ultimately the weight and the responsibility of parenting he places upon the shoulders of fathers. Why? Because he's our heavenly father. Because he's our heavenly father. And just as he created marriages in order so that the relationship between husband and the wife is ultimately a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church, he too created parenting. He created parenting so that the relationship that parents have with their children ought to serve as ultimately the relationship that our Heavenly Father has with us. He created it. He placed it upon the shoulders of fathers. And so fathers in the room, listen up. Don't zone out. Verse 4 tells us that spirit-filled parenting is going to have these two things. Discipline and instruction. And so first, what is discipline? What is instruction? What is discipline? As a parent, when you discipline, you are exerting your authority over your child. That's discipline. When you discipline... Discipline is action-oriented. Time for words are over. You're going to do something. When you discipline, you're holding your child accountable to the fact that they've just disobeyed you. That's discipline. Discipline is applying some sort of a consequence as to discourage your child away from disobedience and towards obedience. That's discipline. Now, what's instruction? Instruction comes from the Greek word nuthesia. Nuthesia, it has a different sense. It has a sense of, of teaching and counseling, okay? Where discipline is action-oriented, nuthesia is word-oriented. You're talking to them. You're explaining things to them. When you discipline your child, you're exerting your authority over your child, Right? But when you're doing nuthesia, you are exerting your relational connection to the child. You're exerting, you're communicating your emotional support and expressing your desire for it to go well with them. You're saying, I'm your mother. I love you. I want it to go well with you. I'm your father. I'm for you. That's why I'm explaining these things to you because I want it to go well with you. You are expressing an emotional warmth towards your child. That's the sense behind this word, instruction. And what Paul is showing us in verse 4 is that spirit-filled parenting always includes both. Both. Discipline and instruction. Spirit-filled parenting has to have both the expression of authority and emotional warmth. 
We need both in our parenting because left to ourselves, when we're parenting not in the spirit but parenting out of the flesh, we have a tendency to lean in one way over the other, right? We have a tendency to express all the authority without any emotional warmth. Or be really, really emotionally warm but express no type of authority or discipline. And what Paul is teaching us is that when we parent that way, we will exasperate our children. When we parent in one way over the other, we will exasperate our children. Both are needed because when it comes to parenting, there's such an opportunity for idolatry to happen. Both are needed because when we parent out of the flesh, there's such an opportunity for idolatry to happen. There's either a tendency to either make yourself an idol as a parent, do parent-centric parenting, or there's such a tendency and opportunity for us to make our children our idol. Do kid-centric parenting. And notice, neither are God-centric parenting. Typically, when your parenting involves too much expression of authority without the emotional warmth, too much discipline without the personal one-on-one instruction, it's because you've made an idol out of yourself. You're doing, God, you're doing parent-centric parenting. You're exerting authority over your child in order to maintain your own comforts. You're exerting authority over your child in order to maintain your own preferences and your own sense of control over your child. But remember, verse 4 says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, Right? It doesn't say bring them up in the discipline and instruction of your comforts. It doesn't say bring them up in the discipline and instruction of your preferences. It says bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dad's out there. You ever have a hard and long day at work and all you're looking forward to, the whole day, all you're looking forward to is just coming home, putting the kids to bed, getting on the couch and just watching a movie with your wife. You ever have those days? Now, what inevitably happens on those days? What inevitably happens is you come home to a crazy group of kids that just refuse to go to bed, right? Just refuse to go to bed. And so, I don't know about your kids, but my kids, they'll just do these emotionally manipulative kind of things, you know? They know I'm a pastor, so they'll say things like, can we read one more Bible study? (laughs) They'll say things like, can we sing Jesus Loves Me just one more time? But I don't fall for that. I say, no more Bible, no more songs, bed, bedtime. You go to sleep right now. When I was a rookie, I used to fall for that stuff. Not anymore. No more Bible. And then you come down on the couch, turn on the movie. It's quiet. It's so nice. And then what do you hear? You hear, I'm thirsty. You hear, I'm scared in my room. You hear, my leg hurts. I'm like, your leg hurts? excuse after excuse after excuse, whatever they could come up in their minds. And then I just lose it. I start yelling like a lunatic. If you get out of bed one more time, if you come out of your room one more time, and I apply discipline to keep them in bed. Now, what's the problem with this? Some of you are like, and what's the problem? (laughs) The problem is that in that moment, there's all this dishing out of discipline, but there's no what? There's no emotional warmth. There's no emotional warmth. There's just anger. And that's the litmus test to see whether you've made yourself an idol. In that moment, if I were honest, 
I'm disciplining out of a personal annoyance. In that moment, if I were honest, I'm disciplining out of personal annoyance, not because I'm trying to train up my kids in the obedience of the Lord, but because they made me get off the couch again, right? That's really the reason why I'm disciplining them. We never should discipline our kids out of a personal annoyance. When we're parenting our kids by placing our personal preferences, our personal comforts, and a sense of control as the highest value, we're making gods out of ourselves. We're doing parent-centric parenting. Spirit-filled parenting, God-centric parenting, it always includes both, both discipline and instruction. Now, if you were to assess your parenting right now, and you would say, okay, I see that, there's definitely more discipline than instruction. If you see that there's more exerting of authority, not as much the emotional warmth, what are the dangers of parenting in that way? You're saying, but look at verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You're saying, see, our primary role as parents is to teach our children to obey, to obey always, to obey the first time, to obey without complaining or talking back. Obedience is the key, right? Teaching them to obey is the most important thing we could ever do as parents for our kids. Well, yes and no. We do need to teach our children to obey. But we need to realize that the kind of obedience that our Heavenly Father wants from us, the kind of obedience, is not just the obedience of the hands, but the obedience of the heart. Not just the obedience of the hands, but the obedience of the heart, right? Not just an outward behavioral obedience of the kind that our kids do just to not get spankings, right? But the type of obedience that starts from the heart that says, mom, I love you, dad, I love you, I trust you, that's why I'm going to obey you. That kind of obedience is what God desires. If the goal of parenting was to simply produce kids that mechanically obeyed all the time, it would be real easy. Just be really harsh in your discipline towards them and be consistent every time, harsh discipline, every time they disobey. And eventually you'll have really obedient children. But the problem is, the problem is that's what the Pharisees looked like. Remember? That's what the Pharisees looked like, just really obedient on the outside. And Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, sparkly and white on the outside, but on the inside what? Full of dead men's bones. You see, teaching our kids to obey is, is critical. It's critical. Discipline only parenting is so dangerous because ultimately it points them to a false gospel. It teaches our kids salvation by works. That's what we're doing. It's, it, that our love for them is performance-based, and we're painting a picture of a heavenly father who will accept them or reject them based upon their ability to obey. You see, teaching our kids to obey is critical, and through discipline, we teach them that there are real consequences to sin. That's an absolutely essential part of the gospel. God will deal with sin. It has to be paid for. He will not just sweep it under the rug and pretend it didn't happen. All of that is critical. I'm not saying don't discipline, don't hear me wrong, but that also we need to provide the warmth of instruction. That also we need to provide the warmth of instruction. The one-on-one counseling of words, not just the consequence of actions that teaches them. That with our words and instructions, every time they disobey, we have an opportunity to talk about the cross. 
With our words, we could say that all of the payment for sin that God demanded, he himself provided through the cross of our Jesus. And every time they disobey, we could say, and that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came, because none of us could perfectly obey. Through discipline and instruction, we are doing the work every day, work of revealing our need, our children's need for the cross, ultimately, right? The goal of of discipline isn't simply to produce kids that obey just enough on the outside so as to think they don't need the cross. The goal of discipline is to show them that at the cross, what we see is the greatest demonstration of discipline, and it happened because sin costs, and it happened because none of us could perfectly obey. Now, what if it's the other way around? What if we find ourselves doing the instruction but not the discipline? What if we find ourselves providing all the emotional warmth but without any expression of authority? What if we're always talking to our children, explaining things, appealing to them, but at the end of the day there's really no discipline, no willingness to hold them accountable for their disobedience? Well, when there's instruction but no no discipline, that's a litmus test that shows that We've made an idol out of our children. That's a litmus test that's showing us we're doing kid-centric parenting. You've made little gods out of your children. You're so afraid of losing them. You're so afraid of pushing them away. You're so afraid that they're going to think you don't love them, that you try to give them all this emotional warmth and support in the world, but you're not giving them any sort of discipline. And so what if you're on the other side of it? What are the dangers of parenting in this way? We're saying, look at verse 4. It says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. You're saying, won't I anger my child if I discipline them? You're saying, don't I need to give them grace? You're saying, isn't it legalistic and repressive to demand obedience from our children? Shouldn't I be showing my child that my love for them isn't dependent upon their obedience? Well, again, yes and no. Instruction-only parenting is so dangerous because it too, it too points to a false gospel. It points to a false gospel that you think is teaching grace, right? You think is teaching grace because you're not disciplining, you're not punishing, but it's, it's, it's really trampling upon grace. It's really trampling upon grace. You're modeling to your child, the Heavenly Father, that says, you know all those things I commanded, all those things that you didn't, obey, well, it's okay. It's okay because I love you, okay? You're ultimately pointing them to a God whose love for them cost him nothing. You're pointing to a God of cheap grace that can simply forgive sins by ignoring it and pretending that it didn't happen rather than to a God that cost him everything, who led his own son to the cross that our sins could actually be dealt with, actually be paid for and forgiven. We're not pointing to a counterfeit gospel of cheap grace, but the real gospel of costly grace. That's what you're doing every time you discipline. Every time you discipline, we're teaching our kids sin costs. Sin costs. If we don't discipline, we're teaching our kids, we're teaching our kids there is no cost to sin. The problem is that oftentimes we believe, though, that love and discipline at are, are at odds with one another, that they're contradictory, right? I love you, Um, but punishing, disciplining seems contradictory to the fact that I love you, and so we say things like, I love you, but you need to obey me, right? 
As parents, we say this a lot. I love you, but you need to obey me because it feels contradictory. But for our Heavenly Father, though, love and his demands for obedience are never contradictory. He doesn't demand obedience from his children in order to love us, but because he loves us. He doesn't command obedience so that he can love us. He commands obedience because he loves us. These two things are not at odds. Hebrews 12, verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Not contradictory. He disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. You see that? Chastisement. Discipline, it's reception, not rejection, right? Many of us, we feel like when we chastise, when we discipline, we're rejecting, okay? It feels contradictory. But when God does it, he does it in a way that's not rejection, it's reception. But we feel like they're contradictory. And so we, th- we say things like, I love you, but you need to obey me. I love you, but I'm going to discipline you. But what does our Heavenly Father say? Our Heavenly Father says, I love you, so you need to obey me. I love you, so I'm going to discipline you. This is how parents can point to grace while still insisting on obedience. We should never communicate even a hint of opposition between love and discipline. Punishing disobedience isn't anti-gospel. Hey, some of us feel that, right? We feel like we need to give our children grace. Yes, you do. But punishing disobedience isn't anti-gospel. It isn't anti-grace. It's not being legalistic. It's actually preparing our children to understand the gospel. Hebrews 12, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Okay? It's painful. So let's call it what it is. Discipline is inflicting pain upon your child. Nobody likes to do that. But later, it says, later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so discipline is this. It's temporarily bringing a lesser pain into your child's life in hopes of protecting them from a greater pain later. Okay? And an article I read on the Gospel Coalition said this. It said that discipline is parents preparing children to know how high stakes the day of judgment will be by giving them low stakes days of judgment now. Bringing lesser pain, less than the pain that they deserve, but pain nonetheless in hopes of protecting them from a greater eternal pain later. That's discipline. Spirit-filled parenting at the end of the day is using discipline and instruction to point our children over and over and over to the cross, to the gospel. Because at the cross, we have a heavenly father that's saying to us, that's instructing us that there's no amount of obeying that you can do to make me love you anymore. And there's no amount of disobeying you can do to make me love you any less. That's what we see at the cross. That his love for us is full and it's unchanging. Well, how can he say that? 
How can he say that to us? To a people who never perfectly obey. To a people who disobey him all the time. Because at the cross, through his son, the perfect, complete level of obedience that is demanding to us, through his son, he credited to us. Okay? And all of our disobedience... At the cross, what God did is he poured out all of his wrath that our disobedience deserved. He poured it all out. So at the cross, what do we see? We see that our sins are dealt with and all the righteousness and obedience that we need, it's been secured. That's the cross. And so through discipline and instruction, we need to keep showing them the reality of the cross to our children when they obey and when they disobey. When they disobey and when they obey. It's not just a reactive thing. It's a proactive thing. We need to constantly point them to the unconditional love of our Heavenly Father. When they disobey, tell them, even though your disobedience makes me sad. Even though your disobedience sometimes makes me angry. I love you just as much now as when you obey me. Okay? When, you, when they obey, tell them, your obedience makes me so happy. Your obedience makes me so glad. But know that I don't love you anymore because of it. Okay? And then just maybe one day they will see the unconditional, unshakable, unmovable, unchanging love of our Heavenly Father towards us at the cross and say, God, I know that you love me and so I want to obey you. God, I know that you love me, and so I will obey you. As a parent, you have this limited window of time to show your kids what your heavenly father looks like. When I think about my oldest being almost eight, almost halfway done with him being in my house, I get so sad. I get so sad, and it forces me to wake up and try to take advantage of every moment that I have left with them. Moms and dads, what your kids need most from you, what they need most from you above everything else are these two things, discipline and instruction. Discipline and instruction of the Lord. More than financial security, they need the discipline and instruction of the Lord. More than Disneyland and the best vacations, they need the discipline and instruction of the Lord. More than private schools and the best education, they need the discipline and educa- discipline and training, instruction of the Lord. And so don't go and give your kids all these great things without giving them the best things, the most important things, discipline and instruction. We started the sermon with some encouragement, and so let's end with some encouragement. What if you're looking at this spirit-filled, God-centered parenting that is constantly pointing our children to the cross, to the gospel through discipline and instruction, and you're totally discouraged by it because you feel like you're utterly failing? What if you're totally discouraged by it because you feel like you're utterly failing? You're thinking, oh man, I am teaching my kids salvation by works. You're thinking, oh man, I am teaching my kids cheap grace. I'm not teaching them the right gospel. Are my kids going to go to hell because of me? Well, first of all, be encouraged by the fact that salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You can't save your kids or you can't damn your kids. Salvation is not yours to give or to take away. It belongs to the Lord. No amount of good parenting can save your kids. Parents hear that? 
no amount of good parenting can save your kids or no amount of bad parenting can condemn your kids. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Rest in that. Be encouraged by that. So why does parenting matter then? It matters because most times the primary means by which God does reveal the gospel is through parents. Because most times the primary means by which God does show us himself, show us Jesus in the cross, is through you, parents. And if you want to even be more encouraged, just read through the Old Testament sometimes. Most of the people that God saves and raises up to do great and amazing things, they come from terrible families. Okay, And so be encouraged by that. God can redeem anything. And so if you find yourself regularly failing at, parent, at this parenting thing, know that it's okay. It's even necessary that you fail. Did you guys know that? It's even necessary that you fail because when you fail, you have an opportunity to show your kids, model to your kids what repentance need to look like what repentance needs to look like. When we fail, we have an opportunity to point them to Heavenly Father that never fails them. And parents, can I tell you, our children, your children, they need to hear you repent. They need to see you repent. Repentance is quite possibly the most difficult thing God will ever command your children to do. And what if they've never seen it done before? Okay? And so it's even necessary that we fail them because it gives us an opportunity to show them what repentance looks like. You know, sometimes after the Holy Spirit has been working on me, I have to go back up to my kids' room at night. I have to wake them up and I have to say, I'm sorry and repent. I'm sorry, kids, for getting, being so quick to get angry. You have a heavenly father that is slow to anger. You have a heavenly father that cares every time you're thirsty. You have a heavenly father that cares every time your legs hurt. You have a heavenly father that cares every time you're scared in your room, and I'll try to do the same. And when I see my wife Angela repent with tears in her eyes to our kids, I see our kids just melt. Whatever the hardness of rebellion that they had towards her, it just disappears. And so parents, it's necessary that we show our kids what repentance looks like. I'll close with this. Fathers, in order for you to be the father God wants you to be, first you have to be a son. And mothers, in order for you to be the mother God wants you to be, first you have to be a mother. Ever since, God, ever since sin entered into the world and God said back in Genesis, in pain you will bring forth children, right? He knew parenting would be hard, if not impossible. And so the kind of parenting that he calls us to do is impossible in and of ourselves because he wants us to first come. Because he wants us to first come and be a son. Because he wants us to first come and be a daughter and experience our perfect heavenly father who gives us the perfect discipline, who gives us the perfect instruction so that we can parent out of an overflow. Let's pray together. Father, what amazing grace and a privilege it is to be able to come to you and address you as Father, Abba, Father. Or through the cross, 
through the work of your son, you've removed every barrier that ever existed between us and you. You've removed every barrier that existed that kept us from coming to you without any fear of being condemned because of our sins. Without any fear of feeling unworthy because of our unrighteousness at the cross, all of our sins are dealt with. At the cross, we receive all of our righteousness. And so we could come to you in the freedom and the joy of addressing you as Abba, Father. And so, Father, because of that work on the cross, we ask that we would not be barriers to our children seeing you as their Heavenly Father. Father, in whatever ways we've been a barrier to them, Father, forgive us. Help us to come to you as your sons and daughters and experience your perfect fatherhood so that we can go and reflect some kind of a picture of that to our children. Lord, let us not be barriers to our children seeing you, but let us be great pictures that serve to show them what you look like. And Father, if it's pleasing to you, even through us, Father, in our work of daily parenting, will you save our kids? Will you do that, God? We love you. We thank you that you are our Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.